come up with. But that's the question, though. Is yeah. the ask or the question gives dialogue or words to you so that yeah. we can um, basically, if you can think of it like this, the kind of personal approach, if you can say it that way, that I'm taking is to give very, very clear definitions of terms. Because those very clear definitions of terms then give clarity to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to having wishy-washy terms that then leave a lot of doubt. Mm -hmm. So, um, the first thing we can do is to look at the word thought okay. and recognize that there are many, many different kinds of thoughts. If we define thought as whatever is happening in the mind during a mind moment or a mind cycle. Okay, and we've talked about this uh, a bit before, a mind moment or a mind cycle. And that most people, when they use the word thought, they think of it in the sense of discursive thought. Words that we use in the mind to describe something. Mm. But, but that's not the only kind of thought there is. That mm. in fact, um, if you feel a sensation, for instance, you can feel the headphones on your head. Mm -hmm. that feeling the headphones on your head, perhaps both of them, in fact, you can actually feel the whole arc as it goes around. Mm -hmm. While you're actually paying attention to the headphones, you're not talking about it, but you are thinking about the headphones. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the touch of the headphones, but it's not done with language. It's a different mm -hmm. kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. And spend quite a lot of our time without verbal thoughts, but we are doing uh, thought. In fact, what you can say is that many times we do arithmetic and talk our way through it. But the faster way to do it is to just to do it image wise without saying the word one plus one in the mind. Because that takes too long. That in fact, mm. of things take longer than the events. Mm -hmm. The description of Anapanasati, especially the way it's practiced with the Eightfold Noble Path, takes five, ten, or twenty minutes to talk about just one cycle that is going to happen within a split second. So our verbal dialogue actually slows things down. Mm. And that mm. when you and I are talking, I'm talking in a um, in this language, building concepts. And then you have to take the language that I'm using and reconstruct that concept within your mind. Mm -hmm. Where that's problematic because all you're getting generally is a concept. Mm -hmm. But there is other ways we can communicate. That's why um, uh, written documentation is very, very poor because it misses out 
on 90% or more of the communication and conversation. And is the only thing that's left is the slow, slow words of constructing concepts. Mm. And yet, I can throw my arms in the air and put a great big smile on my face and see what you did. You responded to that. But you responded not to the words, you responded to the gestures. Mm -hmm. All right, so that means then that you were taking thought moments of your eyes and responding to that without having any verbal thoughts. This is so interesting because I've been reading the book, um, the new book that came out by Bhikkhu Buddhadasa called Eye of the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. And what they talk about in there is how you, if, when you first start studying Buddhism, the only thing you need to, to know as your foundation are the ABCs of Buddhism, which are the six senses, the, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, um, the body, and the mind. And the mind is the most important. And what's interesting no, is it's that the most often used, it's not the most important. Most often used, and it's the one that needs to be managed the most. Because if you can manage the mind, you can manage the other senses as well. Because without the mind, you can't have the senses. And without the senses, you can't have the mind. Well, yes. But the point is, is that by managing the mind, what we mean by that is using it less and using our senses more. Right. Oh, okay. Which means that we spend more time observing and looking and using our mind <laughs> that way and use fewer mind moments telling ourselves a story about what we saw. Mm. Yeah, and that's what they were saying. They were saying like, there's seeing happening through the eyes, but there's this thing called cognizing. And I didn't understand what that was until you just said it. And I think that's what it is that even though there's no like thoughts happening necessarily, there's another way that that information is transferred. Mm -hmm. Now that re that uh, cognizing that you're talking about or cognition, uh, and another word uh, is rather than cog would be sept, like in perception or cognition. But generally what we do is, is that we do it the same thing over again. In other words, we don't just cognize, we recognize or we recognize. That's what the cognition is about. But in fact, that's sometimes why we have to cognize and then cognize and then cognize again to see the pattern. Mm -hmm. And that the human mind, especially the way that is trained in the West, is to see it once and cognize a lot. Is doubt the last thing to go? Doubt is actually just a bunch of cognizing that's done while you're not looking. But a better thing to do is to look and not do so much cognizing. That that uh, when you said that the mind is the most important, I would say no, it's the one that's the most frequently used. Mm. Because we go immediately from see to think, and then from see, think, feel, 
but we can also go directly from C to P without going to the cognizing steps. In other words, you can see a child on the other side of the room fall down or something happens and you see it and you're out of your chair on the way over there without ever having thought the thoughts of, oh, I've got to go rescue that child. You're already rescuing the child. You're on your way to rescue. You don't have to tell yourself to go rescue the child. You're already gone. Okay, so, but that doesn't happen a lot. Most of the time we'll see and then think about it and then um, uh, act. So we were talking about gladdening the mind. Oh, I haven't been gladdening the mind right now. Right, that's a cognition, that's a thought. That's not gladdening the mind. That's fussing at yourself for not gladdening the mind. So I'm not a sure. better way to do it is, is that when you, let us say, see or remember, that's the sati. Why does the sati about uh, gladdening the mind have to go into the cognition of, oh, you haven't been doing it. When in fact, the cognition of, or the waking up of the sati uh, with the, uh, let us say, direction of the intention of gladdening the mind, why doesn't it go immediately to gladdening the mind without having that intermediate um, step of uh, the critical parent? coming in with their critical thinking and critical mind of the it's actually kind of a put down you haven't been gladdening the mind mm-hmm. and that thought moment could have been gladdening the mind instead of fussing at yourself for not gladdening the mind mm-hmm. so this is why we're talking about this is a, a pretty fast operation can you catch it so that when you yeah. do wake up can you wake up directly into the practice of gladdening the mind, or you do you have to go to that step of waking, seeing, fussing at yourself and complaining, and then waking up again and now gladdening the mind? Okay, yes. There's several steps that you can interfere or that you can remove in there, but this is the habit of the mind is, is that whenever you remember something, you are complaining because you didn't remember it earlier. But while you're complaining about not remembering it earlier, you're still not doing it. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. So that means just relax. We can um, go through uh, without spending much time on that intermediate step. Because, I mean, look how long you could spend complaining at yourself about the fact how long has it been since you've been flattening the mind. I mean, it's this way and it's that way and we can fuss this way and fuss that way. What good was that sati to remember to gladden the mind when all we got was a great big uh, heap of uh, complaining from the critical parent? I think the point, the complaint is kind of short though because when I see it, as soon as I see it, I acknowledge that as a success. And then I'm smiling like a split second afterward. 
that's correct. That's the way to go is and the more you do it that way. See, if we in the old way, if we uh, realize or we wake up. And we see. And then we recognize that that's unwholesome or whatever. And now we start in complaining. There can be, and for you, for a long time, there was no end to it. You just complain and complain and complain about yourself or to yourself, whatever like that. And so by doing so, we give it weight. Mm -hmm. We're practicing complaining. Mm -hmm. And you're already quite excellent at uh, that particular song. And I said criticizing. Uh, uh, criticizing. Criticizing. Yeah. Criticizing and complaining are the same thing. Oh, really? So, ah, okay. uh, sure. And so the the sooner that we come out of that and start into the uh, more wholesome behavior, uh, that means then that we're now practicing coming out of that critical complaining mind very quickly. That's the skill that we're wanting to develop. The warning to develop is that right effort to come out of it. And. So are you saying that. At times, if we will ourselves to it, what we could actually do is just skip that intermediary step of having that unwholesome thought and see like the flash right before the unwholesome thought is about to arise and then right there just gladden the mind with feeling rather than like yeah. thinking oh i can feel good right now instead of thinking i can feel good right now just feel good right now you're good just, just feel, feel good right, right now because mm -hmm. you're starting to or, get familiar with that feeling and so you can just like kind of summon it exactly at you will can go direct to that bomb mm -hmm. thought moment uh of the feeling um Feeling tone, exactly right? The same the, thing with the breathing. So when I have the thought breathing, it doesn't even have to be a dialogue. Oh, you should take a deep breath. Takes longer than that in breath. That mm -hmm. the in breath is happening, and I don't have to think about it. Just do it. Or the thinking is the uh, is the initiation of the doing, not. Um, not talking about doing it and then doing it, we just do it. We can leave that tie, that discursive thought step out or make it very short. So I think it doesn't have to, doesn't even have to be as long as it takes to have one sentence. You should be meditating or you should be gladdening your mind. That takes all of those thought moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That we can just stop that stuff. Mm, mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So what you're saying now is I can give myself permission to not have to th talk myself with thoughts, with words, with discursive thought into feeling good because I know what that's like now. I have enough experience with that. So now I can actually begin to just kind of take a shortcut into the right. actual feeling, the wholesome sensation or experience of feeling good, of feeling wholesome, of of relaxing or whatever it is. And then I can and use that as my meditation object. 
Well, especially in the sense that you're going to bypass the unwholesome thought of it's been a long time or I should gladden the mind or I should be meditating, mm -hmm. right? That thought is an unwholesome thought. And in the beginning, we have to see those things and then mm -hmm. turn them around. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're going to be doing is as soon as the sati comes, instead of complaining about the loss of the sati in the past, we can stop that whole process mm. and just go right into the um, the gladdening of the mind. But the gladdening of the mind is not necessarily discursive thought right. of gladdening the mind. It's just remembering to gladden the mind, remembering to come back to the breath and remembering to come back into the state of sukha. Now, the other thing that I've noticed that's is the that, yeah, so that yeah. there is that thought moment of gladdening the mind, but it only was a tenth of a second. Yeah. As opposed to the dialogue may take two, three or four seconds. How long does it take to you should be meditating? Those four words are actually, you know, two, three, four seconds. So the throwing out of the dukkha and the gladdening of the, the gladdening of the mind are actually one and the same. In this way, it's just because way precisely so. upon, upon the dukkha arising, gladdening of the mind happens. So it's essentially we're we're extinguishing dukkha altogether. Right. So now you're beginning to understand just how fast the mind is, and how empty dukkha is, and how empty it is precisely because, in fact, the mind is very, very fast. But we spend a lot of those mind moments talking ourselves into or complaining to ourselves about when we can just forget all of that. So, so you can have in the middle image of the child, just just an, an instant thought of a mental image and be getting out of your chair in the next image without having to have the thought, oh, I should go check on my daughter. I just have a thought of her and I'm on the way. I don't have to go through that intermediate stage of the critical parents dialogue that in fact you can say now then, and this is the big one that's really surprising is, is that that dialogue or that discursive thinking actually comes out of that part of the brain or that part of the mind that is labeled the critical parent. So whenever we're talking to ourselves, it's not in an observational point and it's not in a processing point. It's in that thing that the Buddha calls verbal sankara. Now, unfortunately, there's no other way to teach the Dhamma or any other subject other than that. But when we're not actually explaining things to each other, why is it that we have to explain things to ourselves? The answer to that is because when we were kids, our parents explained things to us. And so now we remember and we explain it to ourselves over and over and over again unnecessarily. It's verbal. And we can begin to cut that verbal stuff out so that we can go immediately to, uh, uh, let us say, 
one thought moment or a flash of an image or uh, a very, very quick thought into action immediately without having to, let us say, pass a law in Congress to get it done. <laughs> There's a lot of passing in Congress that's been happening. Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. that's that's actually what I was going to. That's actually what I've noticed. It's been today, but it's been other days, too, but I haven't been able to like describe it. And what it is, is that. That thought might occur of, oh, I haven't been gladdening the mind. But then I'll like I'll pause and I'll stop. I'll like stop everything and be really still. And I'll see that thought as really it's gone already. Like it's not even there. It's there's nothing. Well, when you stop, it's gone. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like nothing. It, like in one moment, it looked like it was coloring my experience. But when I stopped, I could see that the thought was gone, like a cloud going over. And then the sun was there. And it was like, there's really nothing wrong here. Mm-hmm. But then what's interesting is that the intention to gladden the mind is also subdued. Because before I was gladdening the mind to get away from the dukkha, to get out of the dukkha, to turn the dukkha around, to transform it. But sometimes what happens is I can't tell if my mind is gladdened enough or if it should be gladdened more or what, because the thought that's of doubt rather than just experiencing it the way that it is. Now you're coming back with that critical parent and judging it. Is it this? Is it that? And that takes a lot of mind moments that we could just sit and do nothing. Just let things stop. Yeah, so I guess my fear is that if I just do nothing, I'm going unwholesome thoughts. Like, because do we have to keep gladdening the mind, or after a while, can we just do nothing? Like, yes, just do nothing. This is, in fact, what we've been practicing all along, or the way that I've been teaching all along, is is that we investigate to see is this thought unwholesome, because quite often. But see, in a way, you're in the future rather than in the present moment. So getting back to the present moment, is this thought wholesome? As we begin to practice Anapadasati, the answer is more and more often yes rather than no. Right. Right. Yes. The mind is already wholesome. And so then the next one would be say, ah, what a relief it is. The mind's already wholesome. I don't even have to take the effort to make it wholesome. What if there are feeling tones that I can't tell? Like it's not wholesome, but it's not unwholesome. It's like it's vague. Well, the vagueness allow it to be vague. Right. Okay. And that's okay. That this is vague because you come another vague and another vague and it would become clear. But if you say, oh, no, I don't like vague. I've got to go figure it out. Now you're back into critical parent again in discursive thought in doubt. Yeah. Rather than just allowing it to be vague. Yeah. And it, it seems that this doubt is really like it's really the only thing that really nails my foot to the floor. Like everything else I'm cool with, like. I feel like aversion, anger, irritability, all these things, like I have a pretty good control 
on those things. I don't, I, I don't, when I see them, I go the other way, but when it comes to, to doubt, it's sometimes obscure. It's sometimes vague. Sometimes I don't even know it's doubt, but I'm starting to see it more and get more familiar with it. And it's like that, it, it's like that one that shows up, like you haven't been gladding the mind that's doubt because it's like, when I look in my experience, there's really nothing wrong except for that thought. But then the next one is there never was everything wrong, but your parents, especially as your mom was critical of you. And in a way you had to resist her by saying, mom, everything is all right. Look at what I've been doing in the past to prove that everything is okay now. Yeah. But you yeah. still picked up that habit and that dialogue from her. So now in your mind is both the critical mom and your answer to it. And this is what part of it is making it vague for you. But as you begin to see this dialogue that you have, you can say, oh, yeah, that's what's so vague about all of this is because it's actually two different things that are in dialogue with each other. The critical parent is trying to find out everything that's wrong so that they can set it right. And the child in there is saying everything is already okay. This is why we begin to do it in the sense of nurturing is to get that critical parent out of this critical dialogue into a nurturing dialogue. And so the nurturing dialogue is the words, everything is okay, everything is fine, and we could use that kind of language. But the real feeling of sukha is not the thought, everything is okay. The feeling of sukha is just the feeling of, oh, <sighs> everything right. is okay, right? Yeah. And it, yeah. it doesn't have a language built into it. And so that's one of the big problems that a lot of people have with um, Buddhism is they don't understand how many different kinds of thoughts there are. But even with seeing, we can, with the eyes, there is looking, there is gazing, there is a dispersive kind of vision, uh, and that... Uh, Mostly when we talk about seeing, we want to know about what we see, the objects that we see, and then we give a description and we name it and all of that kind of stuff. And what we're talking about now is at the level of looking at how we see or what is consciousness itself. So what we're beginning to do now is we're beginning to break up that issue of um, uh, what we're talking about cognitive thinking or cognizing means that we're taking what we see, adding a bunch of stuff to it. Like it, you know, like uh, all of the groceries that come uh, in the bag from the grocery store is not the food we eat. We've got to process it. And in fact, a lot of the groceries that are in that bag have already been a lot of processing done, right? And what we're coming to is we're coming out of that processing, which is the critical parent is preparing the food or uh, the perception so that we can cognize it or recognize it. Why can't we just recognize it directly without having to talk 
ourselves about it. That's the idea then is, is that we can begin to uh, notice or watch that we are looking. In other words, start looking at the mind moments that you're actually paying attention to what the eyes are doing rather than looking for something that the eyes can see because the mind is looking for something instead of just kind of gazing. That's the way of looking uh, is to gaze. Now, imagine it like this, that if the, um, let us say that the farmer is on this side of the field and he's plowing or looking down or whatever, and he looks up to rest, and he just gazes at the um, uh, the woods across the field. So he's got a whole gaze. If he looks at this tree off in the distance, he will not see what's happening in this tree. But if he is gazing, then any movement that comes into his field of vision will become clear and obvious. They do that, in fact, with movies to a certain degree. All right, that they'll show a scene and you don't get anything out of it until somebody moves. Snipers are like that, okay? You can't see the sniper until he moves. But if you're looking for the sniper here, he can move all over the place over here and you don't see him. But when you open the eyes to gaze, now you can see that movement, okay? So beginning to pay attention to how we use the eyes because in the West, we're taught to look specifically to hone in on something and so we practice meditation that same way is to hone in on something and we're inviting you now is to start to open it up that in fact I'm that's doing it right now i yeah. can feel it it's, you can feel it, that you can just expand your your yeah. awareness because we're not homing in on it well this is the problem with the uh in meditation using the word concentration because concentration really has that quality of honing in which means that by honing in we're going to miss all of this stuff that's out there but samadhi is a different word samadhi means that we're going to not hone in on and separate other things we're going to be there for all of it to come in that samadhi is an opening not a closing down to where um, concentration is a closing down. And it almost always has the closing down quality of adding discursive thought to it because we're looking for something. And so we talk about what we're looking for and things like this rather than just merely gazing. This is why it's... Um, uh, so common uh, language to say, just watch the show because the show is all over the place. I mean, there's a whole lot of showing off. <laughs> but um, and this happens actually on um, in theater. That a whole lot of stuff is happening in the scene here and everybody is watching that stuff that's happening, an argument or people like that. And a whole lot of other stuff is happening on the stage that everybody's looking at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're, they're misdirected mm -hmm. to look at this 
to where there's all this other stuff. This is what you could call propaganda. Propaganda is say, go look at this and don't look at this. And that's quite necessary in all magic. Magic is a matter of the practice of redirecting. Oh, don't think about this present moment because we've got rebirth and reincarnation and the comma and uh, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Go look at that instead of looking at what is. Wow. That that gazing thing is life changing. Mm -hmm. Learning to gaze. Another way of thinking about it is, is that um, an orchestra, uh, let us say this is, is a, um, a concerto, like Beethoven or Brahms violin concerto, or maybe uh, Tchaikovsky. And that the whole idea is for the orchestra to back up the, um, uh, the violinist. And so everybody's paying attention mostly to the violinist. But the orchestra director, he is not paying so much attention to her because he's got the whole orchestra there. And so when we begin to listen to music, uh, there's a difference between listening to music the way that most people listen to it versus listening to it as if you were the conductor. That in fact, that's something that I learned when I was in, uh, 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 it was actually called Class C school. Uh, when I was in the Navy, this is that, yes, I got to conduct a Navy band. That was part of the instructions. Okay. But the whole point is now you've got to pay attention to a whole lot of stuff going on. Got to pay attention to a whole lot of stuff. You got to open up your mind so that you can hear what every instrument is doing. That's one of the reasons uh, uh, that I enjoy um, uh, the music is because it's so complex because you've got a hundred people doing things all at the same time. Can you hear the difference between what the violas and the violins are playing? Can you hear that that beat of the uh, of the timpani because Beethoven's really in the timpanis. In fact, the, um, uh, the, the really beautiful part um, about that, his violin concerto, especially the full, first movement, is, is that it looks like a dialogue between the timpani drums and the violin. But most people don't even catch that because they're just listening to the violin. And here the whole thing starts off with boom, 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 and then the violins play da 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 boom, boom, boom. You say because there's a whole lot of stuff going on, and so opening our mind, or that's the other way. Um, remember we were talking about movies. Movies, the way that they're done is to get the audience to pay attention to what the director wants them to pay attention to. Their, the director is directing the audience's attention. But movie makers are not interested in what the director wants him to see. The, the other director is there analyzing everything that's going on. That's okay. That's the gazing. It's an opening quality. Would you say that the gazing at what people go ahead? Would you say that the gazing with the eyes is also a gazing with the mind too? 
eye, if we can learn to gaze with the eyes, we can begin to gaze with the mind too. To open. This is why they said in the book, the eyes are the the senses. This is what you have to get to know the senses as they actually are, the abilities of the senses, because they all harmonize. Wow. This is really this is really great. This is really neat. I remember several times, but one time in specifically that walking down the pathway with Achan Po, and he said, just listen. <laughs> just listen. But I had already picked that up. I was able to pick up what he was saying really, really quickly because I had already spent time. Actually, it was Chief Beeman Logan and Mad Bear who was with the Tuskegee uh, Indian Reservation in northern New York State. I went up there and spent several months with them. And what Chief Beeman Moon had taught me how to do was to listen in a brand new way that I'd never, I mean, I'd been in music all this time and whatnot, but learning to listen to the forest. And so that even when I'm talking to the students, if I hear a bird call or something like that, I might mention it because there's a whole lot of stuff happening all the time. And when you hear it, there it is again. Right. So even though I'm paying attention and watching you and looking at your facial expressions and whatnot like that, I can still hear the cars. I can still hear the birds. I can still feel the fan because we don't attached to anything. We let go of everything that's happening in the moment so that we could be there for all of the stuff that's happening because there is just so much happening all the time. If we gaze, we can see it move. And so we gaze with the ears, we gaze with the eyes, and we gaze with the mind. It's it's a complete, we're never taught that in school. We're taught to focus. I can hear today. the I can hear the heater in my house. That's the forest for me. As soon as you said that, it clicked. I was like, "Oh, the the background, everything that's going yeah. on." Oh here. yeah, pay attention to all of the back because it's not in the background. It's there. It's, it's here. It, yeah, it's, it's all here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason that we call it the background is because we're focused on the foreground, and the idea is let's not focus on anything. Let's be there for whatever's happening, and whatever is happening will happen in the sense of something new, some movement. And so when we think about the uh, uh, black mind, we could just, oh, yeah, that's right. We can just go right to it without having to go through that um, that dialogue that we've set up, which is the foreground. Lifting Let's weights. Yeah. Right. Let's Let's stop with the foreground and just pay attention to the whole show. Yeah. What the, the uh, is that you don't have to pay attention to the. Yeah, there's stuff that's going on. Right. The directed, uh, the the director's point. In other words. The director of the movie is directing you to look at uh, he's even though you've got the whole laptop screen here, just one little thing on there is what the director wants you to look at. The idea is, can you see everything that's happening there 
including the stuff that the director is ignoring because he's wanting you to pay attention to what's there. So when I talk to students, I'll notice the background. If they've got pictures up, what colors are they like that? In fact, I had a dialogue with uh, Robert about that. And the next day, he had changed all the stuff on his <laughs> and so this is the way of um, opening up. And so many people practice meditation by closing down. They say you're supposed to pay attention. Yeah, what well, you're paying attention to too few things. better way of doing it is pay attention but not pay attention to something but rather to pay attention in general it's an opening there's that whippoorwill again <laughs> and and it takes a while for students to begin to understand this it's a long slow process of recognizing that basically we need to come out of this discursive talking that we're doing to ourselves. It basically is almost always critical. So from the and gazing begin, okay. mind and from the gazing eyes, when Dukkha comes up, is it handled differently now? No, just, that Dukkha oh, was in fact attaching to something specific. That's what the dukkha is, is that we attach to something specific with feelings about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And when we don't attach to anything, then we're gazing. Because we're not attaching to anything in particular. Going back to the movie with the director, the director wants to direct that movie for the audience to pay attention to this particular thing, right? And we attach to that and we watch that and then we fail to recognize all the other stuff that's happening on the stage or on the scene. Then, in fact, it's only in really old movies that you'll see shadows of boom mics because they've got better microphone technology now than they did in the old days. But they still have windows that have no glass. Mm. Why would they have windows without any glass? Well, because these are stored props in Hollywood's uh, back lot, you see, and they want to set that thing up very easily and very quickly. And glass is the heaviest part of a window. So why should you have windows? Because all you need is the illusion of a window, not a real window. And if you look at that, you can see all kinds of things if you begin to look at movies in a completely different way. You want to you want to gaze at the movie and see just, you know, there's all kinds of things that don't fit. Another example is a period movie with people in period clothing that is obviously and clearly newly manufactured. <laughs> it's not authentic, like buttons and things like that. When people didn't have buttons 500 years ago, they had little pieces of wood. The button was about like this size. 
and you'd have to take it and twist it to get it through the buttonhole. Now, with round buttons, you have to almost destroy the cloth to where in the old days, a button was used. You had to twist the button, not the cloth. There's all kinds of things like that. By the way, you also know that um, the girls' uh, buttons are on this side and the boys' buttons are on this side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the old days, that wasn't the case. And yet they still follow that tradition because that I don't know when that tradition got in there. It's probably some chauvinistic thing. But there's all kinds of things. Just, just It's just amazing how much stuff can be seen if we're not looking at what we're supposed to look at. <laughs> hmm. Wow. But our whole society has taught us to look in that narrow, focused, concentrated way, rather than opening the gaze completely. This is why folks like Achan Po and good meditators, it's really hard to sneak up on them because they're never focused on anything enough that they're not aware of the background. They're not aware of the, the thing. <laughs> That's cool. Mm -hmm. So from this perspective. Ordinary people, ordinary people, you could sneak up on them so easy, especially if you already gained uh, quietude. And that happens in our house all the time. The, the uh, one of Thai's often words would be tokjai or plekjai. One, they, they mean the same thing. One is an Eastern word and the other one is a Thai word. But uh, tokjai means uh, my heart has dropped. And, and plekjai means that the heart has been moved. But they both have the quality of surprise. Okay, so the, they both mean the word surprise. And I surprised her a lot because there I am and she wasn't paying attention. And so I do that with Kitty. That's been one of the trainings that I've had with her is to sneak up on her and tickle her, sneak up on her and grab her snail phone. And now I can't get in the same room with her. Why? Because she has gotten that awareness of opening up, even though she's really interested in the cell phone. She knows that daddy <laughs> may be coming in. And so she's got that open opening awareness. Yeah. So okay. I'm teaching it to her naturally. But Achan Po did that also with me. I've gotten I've said many times the stories about how he got me to open up mm. by sneaking up on me. Mm. And so that's a. Um, uh, the the process, I think, that that's an amazing thing that's missing for Western meditation groups is because of this issue of concentrating and focusing the mind. And then they miss the whole point about what we're doing here is we're not learning to focus it so that we keep it focused. We're learning to focus it to stop it from moving from this object to this object yeah. to this object. Stop so that it can open up. Mm -hmm. And so I use this example is the mind is like this all over the place. 
And yeah. the correct practice is to keep coming back and keep pointing until we get more and more familiar with it. And so we keep coming back like this and finally it settles down. And after we do that, then we can draw back and gaze. And yet most people say, oh, I've got to get it. I've got to get it. And so what they do is that they, they want to try to do this and push and push so that they really got that object. This is kind of the way that you were practicing rather than no. What we want to do is to stop, to draw back and to see the whole self. So when Shakespeare says all the world's a stage and everyone is a player, you could imagine that there you are on stage and you're reading your script. That's what your show is, is you're reading the script. What script do you read? The one that you were given when you were a child and we're all on stage reading our script and not paying attention to what's going on on stage. And so what we can do is, is that we can, once we recognize that, hey, I don't have to be on stage. I don't have to be reading the script. I can go sit in the audience and just enjoy the show. And so we begin to open our perspective. Now, what that also means is very, very closely related now, because I've been using it in one kind of language. But really what we're talking about is the Petita Samupada that we're beginning to pay attention not to the cognizing, which is what we pay attention to mostly, is, is of what did I figure out? What do I see there? Um, and now we're beginning to look at it in the sense of the process. How did I come up with that? What was the input? And so we begin to actually investigate perception itself knowing that when we can bring perception to an end, that means that we're still taking an input. We still have the consciousness of the sensing organs in operation, but we're not grabbing a hold of something and trying to make sense out of it so that we know how to feel about that. And we're just there for everything. Whatever the senses presents, just watch that because those senses are going to continue to present stuff one by one as they occur. At this moment, I'm thinking about my arm, and then I'm thinking about the wind that's blowing on it, and then I'm thinking about the muscle, and I say thinking because I'm not actually using language to think about. I'm experiencing it instead of thinking. So that would be another way of talking about what is an experience. It's just another way of thinking, but it's not discursive thinking. It's observational thinking. And we want to do a whole lot of observing. Observing with the body, with the eyes, with the ears, with the, uh, when we're eating food, really pay attention to all the stuff that's happening inside the mouth. I mean, when you're chewing food, there's 10 or 20 million different things happening inside the mouth, just yeah. popping all over the place. Yeah, the experience of eating is incredible. Uh-huh. But most of the time we're eating, but not experiencing eating. Right. We're thinking about that or something else or having a conversation with someone or whatnot like that. When right. in fact, eating itself is a marvelous experience. It is. I, I've been, that's actually prematurely something that I've been tapping into. Whenever I eat, 
I just get so lost in the sensations. I, I'm not there. I'm just enjoying the sensations. I'm not thinking about the food. I'm not thinking about even what the food is. I'm just tasting it all. And it's right. Then in so, fact, when someone is eating or drinking, that's the easiest time to sneak up on. That's the only time that I've ever been able to sneak up on Ajahn Po is when he's eating. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's very easy to sneak up on someone when they're eating, if they're really eating. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So today we have been talking about this idea of why do we have to have a whole conversation in the mind just at the point of sati, when we can go from the sati immediately into the gladdening of the mind and the rest. And that gladdening now doesn't even have to be verbal. We don't have to say things like everything is all right. Because everything is all right, it takes two, three, four seconds to say it. When we can have that feeling or the thought feeling of everything really is all right. And so we can immediately just go into that relaxation. So begin to watch how we how we uh, let us say it like this, a running dialogue. Or another way of saying it is a blow by blow description. Or like a, a, that we become a radio announcer to announce everything that's happening in our life. Then, in fact, in the old days at baseball games and football games, they had an announcer because it was only on radio. Why? When now we've got television, do we still have announcers at a football game? They're completely useless. And there they are just yabbering and jabbering, and they were missing themselves, missing off on some of the action that's happening on the field. We can see the ridiculousness of um, uh, the, uh, the announcers for that. We can also see that the announcers in the uh, uh, news studio are often also misdirecting us. They're yabbering about something that's completely unimportant. But it gives the mind something to attach to. And so now you're beginning to recognize we can live our lives perfectly well without having that running dialogue. So beginning to pay attention to that running dialogue in the sense that we don't need that. We can go directly into feeling good. I don't have to talk myself into it with language. I can talk myself into it with a more pure, faster, even more wholesome kind of thought of just doing it. Just And the problem is you can't put it into words. <laughs> I'm talking about something that can't be talked about. So that's you by the way, that's the, that's the opening line of the Tao Te Ching. The the Tao that can be spoken is not the Tao. Mm. And so we're working on using words like gazing to give that real inch the, the Tao is open and dialogue is closed. 
And we think that we're supposed to close things down. That's why we talk about it in the sense of concentration. Now, does this gaze, when you first told me, just try gazing, immediately I was able to experience what that was like. But as I've gazed more and more and more, I've noticed the tendency uh, to make it a thing like, oh, this is my freedom now. This is my relief now. That's the dialogue, though. That's the dialogue. That's the dialogue. Okay, so recognize that dialogue and say, hey, I don't have to talk about gazing to myself. I could just do it. (laughs) I can just do it. Yeah. (laughs) And then I, I noticed that, like, sometimes I'm getting more, like, sucked in to your, that tunnel. So how can I, like, make sure that I'm still keeping that gaze? Just, just remember. That's the whole point. That's what Satya is about, is remember to not attach to things, even visual objects, and tell ourselves a story about it in order to understand it and take control over it. But rather just leave things vague. It's okay for things to be vague. You don't have to figure it out. Just enjoy the show. So it's something to play with, right? Because I'm probably not going to have like a, a perfect gaze all the time. No, no. It's a it's a toy, a new toy to play with. Okay. All right. Oh, hey, I have a question, Domerano. When you well, say I've got every- a caller coming in, so let's make it short, and then we'll. Um... Okay. When you say everything is in turmoil, what do you mean by that? In flux, in movement, that nothing is fixed, except the human mind when it attaches to something, but things are constantly in motion. This is so, what the Buddha means by anicca, is everything is moving, nothing is solid, everything is in motion. Pay attention to it being in motion. That's what we mean. Everything is in turmoil. Everything is in motion. The wind around you is in motion. The wind in front of your desk is more in motion than the wind behind you because of your own breathing. You'd be surprised at how many billions of molecules have to move out of the way just because you're breathing. You set all kinds of things in motion with your breath. And so we can enjoy that show too. Are we fixing, are we getting fixed the view of enjoying the show or is that in motion as well? That's also in motion, playing with it because you, and one of the motions that it can take is back into telling us our story about it. And so see that too, see that now we're not just seeing something, but we're telling a story about it. That storytelling, that's the cognition. And so the that's the new dukkha. That yeah, that's the new dukkha is uh, whatever we're attaching to. Mm. Trying to figure out how to feel about it. Do I like it? Do I not like it? So that's the beginning of that process. But when we're just open and just receiving data without processing with the intent to, to label it and find out what it is so that we'll know how to feel about it, that's the end. That's the whole end of it is just to be 
in the present moment completely without attaching to any item that comes by in the present moment. So liking and not liking is attaching too. Right? That's the whole point. Exactly. That's yeah. the attaching. Mm -hmm. The so attaching. <laughs> so good. I I've started to notice this with food and stuff when we pick what we want to eat or what we want to watch. I'm like looking at it and I can see like making it so important. I, I like I need to like this. It's imperative. It's important. And I'm starting to just be like, no, that's OK. No. Yeah, just enjoy. Do away with that it's one. Right. You don't have to like it. To it doesn't enjoy. matter what I pick to eat because thinking about it isn't going to make it enjoyable. Like it doesn't really actually matter. <laughs> exactly. Cool. OK, excellent. We'll keep going. Keep enjoying, keep gazing, keep just letting things happen. Okay. Just enjoy the show. All we'll right. See you later. All right. Thank you, Damarado. Bye. Bye.